like to take the opportunity to go back and to elaborate and to delve more into my school age years. My school age years were such a intricate part of the making, if you will, of the man that you're listening to today. There's so many moving pieces in my school years, elementary, middle school, high school, and so many different things happened. And I can tell you that a lot of what happened is truly made up a lot of the foundation and the fabric of William Weeks. I'd like for all of you just for a moment, if you could just close your eyes for me And I want you to put your mind in rewind. And I want all of you, everybody under the very sound of my voice, I want you to think back to your school age years, not college, but those early school age years. I want you to think about some fond memories that you may have when you were in elementary school, kindergarten, first grade, second grade, third grade, fourth grade, etc. I want you to think about Some of those moments that down through the years truly stand out in your mind till this day. I also want you to think about some of those memories that you hold fond or you hold near to your heart from your middle school years, from your high school years. And I want you to take a moment right now just to combine all of these memories together in a timeline, if you will, and just think about them. Just let them run in your mind like a slideshow. And I'm sure many of you who are A, listening, but B, who are participating in this little activity, right now you probably have some little smiles to yourself. Maybe there's some memories that have come up that for a moment, just kind of slipped your mind. Many of us have memories that we hold fond and we hold near and dear to our heart. But in my school years, I have very few memories that I can truly say are really impressions that are footprints in my heart and in my mind that are positive. And I say that because during those years for me, they were so traumatic for so many different reasons. I can remember, and I'm thinking back to my elementary years, and I was a little boy sitting in the classroom that, again, couldn't see everything that I had to learn was simply by me listening. At the time, I didn't have any assistive technology, which is technology that was designed for persons with special needs who may have had some sort of a disability that you may needed that equipment to serve as an accommodation for you. I didn't have any of that. And what I remember was sitting in classrooms and it just felt as though I was a burden. I remember just sitting in there 
And it's amazing how sometimes when people think that you can't see, there's also this attachment, this addendum in their mind, I guess, that you can't hear either. And I remember them having, and when I say them, I'm referring to teachers, not students. This is where so much of this was so hurting for me. But I remember teachers talking amongst themselves at the door, the door slightly ajar, standing in the hallway. And I remember them talking about how frustrating it was for them having me in the classroom because they didn't know what to do for me. I remember sitting there and listening to them have full-blown conversations that included them saying things such as, he doesn't need to be in here. There's nothing I can do for him. I can't teach him and the other students who are in the classroom at the same time. I remember hearing teachers discuss their frustrations with why they were left with the responsibility of having to work with a student like myself. And I want everyone to know that there was never anything cognitively wrong with me. Oh, I could think. I could comprehend. I could understand. I just couldn't see. And in my little mind, my young mind at the time, I remember thinking to myself, is there something wrong with me? Yes, I knew I couldn't see. Yes, I knew that I couldn't do things the same way other kids could do it. But the way it registered in my mind was that something was wrong with me. And a lot of that came from the way I felt I was being treated. And ladies and gentlemen, I want to share with you that I can remember vividly where teachers would write a whole pass. And they would write you a pass. And if you got stopped in the hallway, it was an excused pass that you had to go to wherever you were going. I remember having teachers, even in my elementary school years, I remember this. They would write me a pass and they would tell me, they would say, William, you can't see how to do what it is that we're doing here in this classroom. And we really don't know how to help you. So we're going to give you a pass. And I remember them saying, if you walk down the hallway, if you're able to find some of the other teachers or someone else who's able to help you, then maybe they can help you with this work and put in my hands a little folder with worksheets or the assignment or whatever it is that they wrote on the board that we were doing for the day. Whatever it is that we were working on, they would help me get on the other side of the hallway and I would just walk down the hallway. And I didn't know where I was going. I didn't know who to go to. I didn't even know what to say when I would get to those people. Outside of the fact that I was just going and hopefully someone could help me. I could give them 
the work and they could help me to do it. I wanted to learn. I wanted to do what the other kids were doing. And I knew that I could. The problem was, I just couldn't see it. And it felt to me that no one wanted to take the time to pour into William Weeks because I was a burden. I was an added headache. I was an extra responsibility on top of all of the other responsibilities that as educators, they had to tend to. These were the feelings that I developed along the way. I didn't specifically feel this way at the younger age of of being in elementary school, but as I got older, that's what I began to feel. The plethora of times I was sent out of the classroom to find someone who could help me. At some point, there was one person who always came to my rescue. And I never forget her. She was the school nurse. And I remember there were times I would go in her office because I didn't know where else to go. The school nurse who had the responsibility of tending to sick children, the school nurse who had the responsibility of distributing medications to children throughout the entire day, would take the time to sit down with me and go over assignments. She would take the time so that I understood what they were doing. And ladies and gentlemen, I need you to know that this didn't happen one time. It didn't happen twice. It didn't happen three times. This happened many times. It happened so much until there were times I would walk into the classroom. And if that was a day, most of your assignments were written on the chalkboard. Again, I wasn't able to see the chalkboard. I wasn't able to see the regular school books. I didn't have enlarged print books at that time. I didn't have Braille. I didn't have any assistive technology. So the only thing I had to rely on was my ears and my ability to pick up on things as they were discussing it out loud. Granted that they would discuss it out loud. But when you had those days where the majority of your work was written on the chalkboard, of course, I was just at a loss. And before I would even get in the classroom good, I was told, you're not going to be able to see what we're doing today. And by this time, many of them knew where I was going. And they would comfortably say to me, go back to 
that individual and see if she can help you. And I remember taking my little yellow baseball bat. My mother had taught me how to travel and how to maneuver and how to get around with the little yellow plastic baseball bats. I didn't have a cane at that time. I didn't have proper canal instruction as a blind student. But my mother spent hours with me outside, walking up and down my driveway, back and forth in our front yard. And my mother taught me how to navigate and how to walk using the little yellow plastic baseball bats that we used to use to play baseball with many years ago. So I had that same baseball bet. Tippity-tap, 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 walking up and down the hallway. And there my journey began, walking back to the nurse's station to see if she could help me. I had no idea at that time. I was too young to truly comprehend what those experiences were doing for me and to me. I had no idea what was being built inside of me. The thought process of wanting to go beyond, wanting to continue to push, wanting to show others that I had purpose and that I had a place. There was something special about me. I didn't truly know what it was in those early years. I, I knew that I was likable. I knew I was lovable. I had a heart. I cared for other people. But it just seemed as though the people who were supposed to be put in place to care about my well-being and to care about my education. It felt to me that they just didn't feel that I was worth the time. And that broke me. That broke me in so many ways. And it sculpted so much negativity in my mind about the school environment, the people that I was around. And I would come home every day crying. I mean, every day I would come off of that bus and I would go in the house and I would just lay down in the floor and I would tell my mom, I would say, Mom, I hate it there. I hate school. It seems as though the teachers don't like me. I can remember saying this very vividly as a young kid coming in the house. They hate me. Those were the words that I, I did use at times. And this was no surprise to my mother because my mother really was to the point where she couldn't even work. 
My mother was down at the school every day or every other day fighting for the rights of William Weeks, fighting for William Weeks to have the same equal opportunities as every other student there, fighting for equality, fighting to ensure that I got everything that I needed that would level the playing field so that I could learn like everyone else. But you have no idea the kind of mother that I had. You, you really don't know what kind of woman this was. Mary Weeks was something that you run across once in a lifetime. Many people are going to hear me say that. And, and they're going to think that I'm saying that because that's my mother. But I'm saying that because the patience that she had, the God that was in her, that kept her balanced, that gave her everything she needed to be able to raise a kid like myself was absolutely astronomical. When I would come home and I would tell my mother just how awful things were going, I would hear my mother start to hum. And most of you, if you, if you have those old school mothers or those old school grandmothers, many of you can certainly relate to what I'm saying. Many of them, when they have a lot of thoughts on their mind and when they're really thinking, you know, they just start to hum. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. You know, it was almost as though they were ignoring you, but they weren't ignoring you. It's just they had such a peace, regardless of the storm, regardless of what was going on. The Lord had just given her, my mother, so much peace about this situation. And here I am as a young kid in, in, in upper elementary school, just in wreck mentally, emotionally, physically. Everything that you could think of that could be wrong was going wrong to me, with me. And here's my mother. I'm telling her how much I hate school. I mean, to the point where I did not want to go back. It had settled in my heart and it had settled in my mind. These people hate me. And it's no need for me to keep going back. And my mother would sit there and she would start humming. And she would sit down in the kitchen. She would just sit there. She would call me. She would say, William, come here. And I said, yes, mama. I'd walk over there. Work my way over to the table where she was. And she would put her hands in my face she would grip both sides of my face with her hands and she would just hold my face in her hands and she would say to me she'd say little boy weeks little boy weeks that's what she would call me when she was really really serious when something was really in her heart that she wanted to say. She would say, little boy weeks, little boy weeks. And I'd say, yes. She said, 
keep your dreams close to your heart. She would say to me, keep your dreams close to your heart. And she'd put her hand on my chest and she'd pat my chest. And my mother and I would just sit there in the kitchen and just cry. She would be holding my face in her hand and she would just be crying. And I would just be sitting there crying. And she told me, she said, little boy Weeks, it's not over for you. And I can remember hearing her say this. She would say, it's not over. You're going to go back to school and tomorrow is going to be a better day. She said this every single day. Tomorrow is going to be a better day. I remember holding on to the words of my mother as though someone was holding on to a piece of platinum, as though someone was holding on to a ruby, as though someone was holding on to something that was just the most cherished gift, the most cherished, precious metal ever. I would hold on to those words and I would go about my day thinking, it's going to get better. Because I was so determined to be like all the other children, I would get out there on the playground and here I am, this you know, blind kid out here on the playground when they would go out for recess. I just run. And that's probably hard for many of you to believe or to understand. Because you're probably thinking, well, how are you out there running and you can't see? And I had a teacher who was so wonderful to me. Her name was Miss Kay Hickman. She was absolutely amazing. And she would say to me, Recently, William, the only word that I could think of for you was fearless. You were just absolutely fearless. You weren't afraid of anything. You couldn't see anything, but you were just fearless. And I thought about that because as I was running out there on that playground, I, you know, I really couldn't see what was going on. I had my hands out in front of me, but I was determined to have fun out with the other kids. And again, that was challenging because many of the kids didn't want to come over and play with me. I mentioned before that, you know, the greatest fear in the world is the fear of the unknown. And when you don't understand, we kind of pull back, you know, there's a reservation. And I remember outside playing and there was always this one voice that would always come over to me. Now, mind you, most of the kids never wanted to come over and wanted, never wanted to talk or to play. But there was one voice that stood out in my mind out of all of the laughter and the screaming and hollering and all of the typical, you know, playing that you do when you're a young child. And she would always come over to me and she would always ask me, did I want to play? And she would play with me and we would actually race. Now, unbelievably, <laughs> we would race 
and, and she would make sure that I was in a place where I couldn't run into anything. And she would tell me, all you have to do is run straight and you're not going to run into anything. And I would say, okay. So we would race each other up and down this plotted out place that she chose, of course, out there on the playground. And she became a very, very, very near and dear friend to me and has been a friend to me for many, many years since that day until now. I consider her like a sister and she considers me like a brother. And we talk about all of these early early memories and her name was Renata and she was the first one that took the time to play with me out there on the playground and I remember one day we were running and we were playing and I was getting ready to run into the monkey bars I mean I was just full throttle just going at it (laughs) just again hands out in front of me just screaming and hollering and I remember just running and I was getting ready to run into the monkey bars unbeknown to me and I heard this voice in my ear and she used to call me Brubra and I remember her hollering and she would say Brubra you're getting ready to run into the monkey bars that's what she would scream and holler (laughs) and Before I knew it, it was like a quarter of a second, just thinking about it. She threw herself in front of me so that I wouldn't hit the monkey bars. I crashed into her and we both kind of fell. We hit the monkey bars, but there were no injuries because she threw herself in front of me so that I wouldn't hit those monkey bars. And... To this day, I think about how there's always someone that God places in your path that's there to help you to maneuver beyond where you are, to truly transcend into where you need to be. There's always that someone who kicks out from amongst the rest, who isn't bothered by the noise of what's going on with everyone else and what everyone else is saying. And they will be the shining light that can truly help you to maneuver past those giants in your life that at the time seemed so insurmountable. And no matter how bad things got, I felt, The Lord always had someone there, someone that just pulled me along even when I didn't think it was possible. And I I felt I was on my last leg and I had nothing else to give. There was always somebody that he placed there strategically right at the right moment that was there to grab my hand and say, oh, nobody. Oh, nobody. We've got a little more ways to go. You still have a quarter of a mile left in you and would just pull me along. And with that being said, 
let's reconvene on the next one. You have been listening to Unfiltered Diary of a Whole Man, Part 2.